the word fear is false evidence appearing real. If you have a moment where you're fearful of doing something, jump in front of it and deal with it because it will be a lot easier on you in the long run than it will standing behind that fear for many, many years. Welcome to Diggs Influencer Podcast, the titans of real estate. The show that provides direct access to the real estate industry's top movers and shakers as they share invaluable insight on how to best navigate and succeed in any market. I'm your host, Warren Dow, founder and CEO of M3 Media and publisher of Diggs Magazine. You may recognize the name of today's guest, James Harris, one of the most popular cast members on Bravo's Million Dollar Listing Los Angeles, along with business partner David Parnes. James and David are founders of Bond Street Partners and work for the agency in Beverly Hills, where they continue to enjoy record-breaking success as one of the top performing teams in the country as ranked by the 2019 Real Trends 1000. Please welcome to the show, James Harris. Thank you so much for having me. And what an introduction. Thank yeah. you so much. <laughs> so you were born in and raised in London, England. Tell us what your childhood was like. Wow. How long do you have? Uh, got all day and the rest <laughs> of the week. Come on, we can do this. Uh, born and raised in London, single mother. And as you might know, London is a very fast paced city. School wasn't for me. And I've shared about this before. I was actually expelled from eight schools, which is record breaking. And I like to say, or my mother likes to say I was asked to leave, which means that she pulled me out right before they expelled me. Not my proudest achievement, but I really wasn't able to focus at school and I struggled at school and I wanted to work. And so the moment I was of the legal age, which was 16, to leave school and start work was essentially when I started in the real estate industry. Worked in residential real estate for two years, worked in commercial real estate for two and a half years, and then age 21 was when I began my journey stateside and came to the US. But wait, we need to go back and hear about those expulsions. Yes. So <laughs> we can't just continue forth without digging into that a little bit. Absolutely. You were answering my second question is what kind of trouble did you get in as a kid? So were you just a rebellious sort? Were you? It's a great question. And it's not something I'm ever ashamed about discussing because I certainly want anyone that might be listening to this podcast to understand and realize that no matter what they're going through as a child or no matter what they go through in their upbringing, that as long as they stay focused and find something that they love and they're passionate about, it will ultimately all be okay. I had behavioral problems at school. I got in a lot of trouble. I don't typically remember doing all that much different to my school friends, but I definitely got caught. I also suffered with extreme ADHD. I was extremely hyperactive, had an extreme problem with concentrating and focusing on 
school classes and I had a passion for real estate and a passion for working and I wanted to get out there. And so I really did. I struggled a lot with school and not to go into it too deep, but I was placed into special needs schools. I was placed into an adolescent unit because if I wasn't, I would have been taken by the social services and my mother obviously didn't want that. So I was put in a lot of different places and had terrible struggles growing up. But thank God, my mother never gave up on me. She stood by my side 110% and did whatever it took to keep me in a place of feeling safe and being okay. And as I said, the second I was able to get to work was when it all began and my life started to change. That's great. Thank you for sharing that. I'm sure very few people know that about your history, right? That's very true. And what does your mom do for work? So my mother recently moved to the States, but she is an interior designer, an extremely talented one. And what a lot of people don't know is that David Parnes, my best friend and business partner, and I have known each other since we were born, but our mothers were actually business partners and they had an interior design company in London whilst we were growing up. And my mother is still doing that here in the US, in Los Angeles. She now stages and does private design. So what, how old were you when you met David? I was about two seconds old. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, he always likes to remind me, because he's three years older than me, that he knew me first. So um, you guys yes. are twins, but not by blood. As far as we know. <laughs> <laughs> People think we're brothers, twins, and as far as we know, we're just friends. Okay, so if you were in trouble as a youth, uh, what, was David alongside with you? Was he a partner in crime, or was he doing something different? He was the polar opposite. David was very fortunate growing up that he was highly, highly academic. And it always used to drive me mad because even if he didn't enjoy school or enjoy university and he studied economics, David was the type that would go in, do a little bit of work and then crush the exam. So he was the academic type. I wasn't. I was the type that wanted to be in front of people and we're different in that respect. But he did great at school and finished university with a great degree and, you know, went on different paths. And I came to the US and David came. I want to say five years after I landed here. Okay. You were what, 20? 21. 21. 21. So, but you started in, in real estate at age 16. Correct. And were you just, just learning the ropes? Like you were an assistant or just learning? I was in the mail room. You okay. know, when I first got my job, I had no resume. I was 16. I'd been expelled yeah. from eight schools. I really <laughs> had very little hope. And so having no resume, I decided to essentially put on a suit blazer I was wearing sweatpants below and I'll never forget it. It was raining and I had an umbrella and I walked into a payphone box in London and my mother's friend had a camera and they took a photo of me in the photo booth and that became my resume. And then I found a real estate directory in London that had all of the different real estate companies in alphabetical order. And so I went through that list and highlighted the companies that I was interested in interviewing. And I decided that I would take my photo to each of these agencies in London and try and meet the owner. Well, the first company I went to, which was called Dutch and Dutch, which started with a D, so it was the first one on the list, I walked in and I asked for the president of the company. And the gentleman I asked happened to be the president. And he interviewed me on the spot. It was a family-run business, and I have goosebumps even thinking about it. And I started working 
immediately. I started in the mail room, getting coffees, running letters through the, the stamp machine. I slowly then started showing properties. One thing led to another and I became their top negotiator. And then they asked if I wanted to learn the commercial business, which I said, yes, did that for two and a half years, and then decided after five years of working that I really wanted to try and travel the world. I came to Los Angeles, which is where my father lived at the time, and I never went back. And I fell in love with the city, the lifestyle, the people, and my father lived here. So at the time, it made sense. We're going to talk about your move to LA, but last question going back. So how old were you when you got your license? So did you get it right away at age like 16 or 17? Funnily enough, in the UK, you don't need a license. You don't? No license required in the UK. Wow. Okay. It's very different to how it is in the US. So no, I got straight into the business, no license required, and I grafted. I mean, I didn't even have a driving license at the time. So you got to imagine I'm walking through the streets of London from apartment to apartment in the freezing cold, but I was prepared and willing to do whatever it took. And I'd found something that I truly enjoyed and had a passion in doing. And so for me, the walking and trying to learn the ropes and being told what to do really wasn't a problem because I was intrigued to learn. Is it still like that in England? You still don't need a license? You do not need a license. Even like, what if you sell insurance? Same thing? Like, uh, that I don't know. Okay. But in, in residential and commercial real estate, no license is required. And it's very different over there. What about mortgage? I'm just curious. I don't believe you need a license in mortgages either. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a whole different scene. Very different. <laughs> so when did you sell your first home or your first property, your first lease? What was that first deal? In London or the US? Let's start with both. Do both. In London, it was an apartment that I actually sold in an area called West Hampstead, Northwest London. And it was my first ever listing. And God, I treated it like gold. And it was a great feeling seeing a transaction through from the start to finish, being able to negotiate terms, putting the deal together. And that's my real passion is the negotiation. You know, some people like the paperwork side of things. That's not my passion. My passion is putting the deal together, putting the meeting of minds together and negotiating a deal. That's where I thrive. And that was the first deal I did. I think it was a $2 million apartment in London. And the first ever deal I did here in the US was actually a teardown in Bel Air that David and I door knocked, which is a much longer story, but we ended up selling it for six and a half million dollars. And that house seven years later is almost built and we'll be listing it for $45 million. It's amazing how things come full circle. Full circle. Full circle. Well, welcome to LA with a $6 million first sale, right? Well, that's it. I mean, we found a niche in the market at the time, which was door knocking, and it was door knocking development deals and finding dirt. And that's a whole nother story. But yeah. At age 16 or 17, after that first deal, did you know, okay, this is my career. I'm doing this. I'm locked in. I'm, I'm going to go the full distance on this. 1000% yes. I knew I had a passion here. My mother was an interior designer. So I'd spent my childhood moving from property to property because my mum would buy a place, remodel it, and then we'd sell it. And I was always intrigued with real estate. And when I found my feet here at this company, I just knew I'd found my feet and I was going to be happy and spend a long time in this business. You and David did something very unique and smart early on in your careers in LA. First, you decided to target the high-end luxury market and focus on a specific niche. But I'm more impressed about how you guys leveraged another very successful 
sold basically inventory on other, other agents' inventory on your website to create a powerful content marketing strategy right out of the box. So basically, you get here in LA, you have no inventory, no sales, no conversation, nothing going on, and you basically invented one. That's brilliant. Tell me more about that decision. So it wasn't a decision. It was an interesting road. Dave and I knew from day one we wanted to target the high-end real estate market. And to anybody listening, whether you're trying to sell a $500,000 home or a $5 million home, nothing really changes except the paycheck's a lot bigger. And I think people are very scared to go for the high end when they really shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. But we knew we wanted to go high end and we had developed this very sexy website that we'd put a lot of our savings into to design the website. We worked with a very reputable company, came up with our brand and once this website was built, it looked like we owned our own brokerage. But the one thing that we were missing on the website was any real estate. We'd never done a deal. <laughs> so we're here high-fiving and then realizing, oh my God, we don't have any real estate. So we were door knocking and door knocking and we weren't getting any results. And then we would, and then something would happen and then it wouldn't. But what we realized was, was that we needed to have inventory under our belt so that we could then go to people and utilize that inventory to platform us to being somebody that we weren't really, but we knew we had the ability to become. So we went to an agent that had been in the business for 15 years. And we said to this agent that we'll cut you a deal. We said, you let us pull your inventory of everything you've sold in the last 15 years onto our website. And in return, we'll give you a third of any business that we do in one specific area that we're targeting. And it wasn't that we were claiming those were our deals. We just wanted inventory so that when we met people and we sent them to our website, they had something to look at. And that agent agreed. Can and you tell us who that is, by the way? Absolutely. A dear, dear, dear friend of mine, Santiago Arana. Oh, Santiago. is a dear friend, someone that I do a lot of business with today. And... We then took that inventory and suddenly our postures changed. We door knocked houses like we had all these deals under our belt and people started to take us seriously. And one thing led to another. And then we were always looking for the next niche. And then we found this development deal niche and moved to that. And everybody won. It was a win-win. Well, it's, it's whether you recognize it at the moment or not, it was marketing genius in the sense that in our business publishing digs, we get to talk and, and, and understand all the players in the industry and what they strategies that they're working on, what, what's working, what's not. But ironically, most agents view their content, their inventory as an expense, like marketing their, their listings as, an, as an expense. Yep. When it should, it's a total investment. That's how you propel your brand. That's the only conversation really you have in the market. Correct. This business is all brand based, right? You are your brand. So people only know what they see. And so we choose to show off our brand in a very specific way. And you're absolutely right. Your inventory is your brand. And so we realized that very early on and we needed something to help us get a leg up and a one up on going out there and trying to build our own. And that was one way of utilizing that and yeah. doing so. It's great. Kudos to you. Thank you. And then you, so you started targeting developers and how did that come about exactly? Did, how did that decision when you started going, okay, we're going to, we're going to focus on developers phase one. So we hit the ground running in a market that was extremely strong 
We'd bounced back from the recession. The market was very hot. Developers were building in LA. And this was right around the beginning of the time that people were tearing down two, 3,000 square foot houses on one acre lots and building 20, 30,000 square foot houses. And what we realized very early on is that developers really didn't care who they worked with. They cared about who brought them the deal. Mm. And it seemed to us as if it was a huge gap in the market. And we were door knocking, but we had no clients. So we formulated a pitch, which was that we would look for teardowns. We would knock on doors. People would answer. And our pitch was very simple, which was that we have a client who really doesn't care about how the house looks, but they're extremely motivated by this home's location. Would you be interested in selling? And everybody has a number. No matter who it is, 99% of people have a number they'd sell for. You just need to get that number. And so what we would do is we would find these lots from people that were interested in selling, and then we would go and find the developer. So we were kind of doing things backwards. We didn't have the clients, but we knew the developers would listen to us if we had the deals. So we'd find the deals and then go to the developers, offer them the deals. And that's really how we started our business. So think about it, James. So you, you that's your second prime example of reverse engineering the solution. Absolutely. Right? Yep. So it's awesome. It's totally thinking outside the box. And everything about what we do is outside of the box because I think in this business, there are, I think, 1.6 million licensed agents in mm -hmm. the US. Why would anyone want to work with us? So from the beginning, we've always thought about what separates us from everybody else. How can we be different? How can we be unique? How can we be creative? And at the beginning of our business, it was how do we get the business in the first place to become creative? Mm -hmm. Now it's changed again because now we have the listings. Now we need to be creative in how we sell them. And that's very important in this business. Skipping ahead, let's provide some context around your industry success for our listeners. Average sales, annual sales for you guys have been over 250 million and a record 520 million in 2017. And you guys are already over 400 million for 2019. You represent the seller in a $120 million sale in Homeby Hills, which is the fourth largest in US history and the second largest in California history. That's absolutely right. Okay, yeah. Which is crazy. Crazy. Also represented numerous ultra high-end sales of $72.5 in Beverly Hills, $69.9 million uh, estate in Malibu, and at least a half a dozen other properties over $30 million. Current listing inventory is over a whopping $1.5 billion. I could go on with the accolades, but we might be here all day, James. <laughs> but congratulations, man, on all that hard-earned success. That's very kind, and thank you. And even just hearing you say it is extremely humbling. I mean, yeah, we wanted to be successful in this business and we work hard, but it is great and crazy to hear at the same time. Yeah. And I think it's all about staying focused, having a great team behind you, which we do, being ethical, honest and transparent and staying in your lane. Yeah, You know, well so said. many people like to get out of their lane and try and do things that they shouldn't. And I think for yeah. David and I, it's always been about just staying focused, staying yeah. in our lane and not giving up until we get what we need or want. 
which well, can be annoying to some people, I'm and, sure. And we'll talk about the TV show in a bit. But most people have a false sense of reality. You know, they think, oh, it's, it's James. He's on TV. He's successful because he's on TV, man. And all these guys in L.A., they sell these multi-million dollars. Home. It's so easy. You just get your license. You cruise around Beverly Hills. You get a $30 million listing. You make a million. It's, it's easy, right? <laughs> right, James? Yeah, it's so easy. Just like that. Roll out of bed and get a $30 yeah. No, it's not. Look, this is a very cutthroat, <laughs> crazy industry especially at the high end. But I think at any end, I mean, this is a cutthroat industry. Commissions are high. It's a very competitive world and it's not easy. And I think one of the problems in the real estate industry is the barrier for entry. I mean, anyone can get their license, but I think it's the people that are willing and dedicated to give this 110% of their world that are going to succeed. And I truly believe that hard work pays off, no matter who you are. You've epitomized that. You've been an example of that. I mean, and I say this, if I can go from being expelled from eight schools, being diagnosed with ADHD, being where I was to being here, I truly believe anyone can do anything that they want if they put their mind to it, stay focused, and don't give up. And it doesn't come easy. You have to want it, you have to earn it, and you have to go get it. Well said. If you could define your success in three words or less, what would those words be? Teamwork, honesty, and trust. What would your competitors say about you, James? I would like to say they're all of the above. (laughs) (laughs) I would like to say our competitors, whilst people can hate on others' success, I would like to think that David and I have earned an honest transparent reputation. We've always ran our business very honestly. We haven't screwed anybody over and we do what we say we're going to do and we avoid trying to overpromise and underdeliver. That goes for our clients as well as agents, but we also learned very early on that relationships with other agents are in some way even more important than the relationships you have with clients because clients will come and go, whereas real estate agents will stay. And so those relationships are extremely important. Absolutely. The network, that's the invisible sort of hand in real estate. Indeed, it is. It's that network. What's the biggest check you've ever cashed? Oh my God. I hate it. You don't have to tell me. No, if you don't. I'd rather not. I hate right. talking numbers. I find it a it's bit... It's for, for our audience. You know, they can't get enough of the, yeah. the million-dollar listings I and the, know. Ca- the cash aspects of You know what? That's, that's private this. information. Right. But we do what <clears throat> we... we... We work hard. All right, at least we got one question that James didn't ask, right? <laughs> I mean, didn't answer. When did you sell your first home over 10 million? Like, when was that first? Oh, my gosh. It, we did six in the first one. It was it like... You know what? That was in our first six months of selling real estate. We represented both the buyer and seller of a commercial property on Melrose Place in West Hollywood for $30 million. And that was our first sort of really awesome achievement. And again, that took a lot of hard work and creativity. But I remember exactly where David and I were the day it closed and we heard it had recorded. And God, I can't begin to tell you the joy that that brings me today of just the happiness that we had when that deal closed. Are there any special, when you get to these big numbers, like say 50 million, are there any special attributes that agents have to have like to be comfortable and to succeed at that threshold of a, of a listing amount? That is a great question because I truly think that so many people have 
a ton of fear inside them that the thought of even doing a 20, 30, 50 million dollar deal is so terrifying to them that they never try in the first place. And I remember for David and I, anything that got in our way that stood in front of fear, we would jump in front of it immediately. And again, I said it earlier, whether it's a $5 million deal, a $50 million deal, nothing changes. The mechanics don't change, but the paycheck does. And so if I'm door knocking a $5 million house, why wouldn't I door knock a $25 million house? Well, there's no doorbell. Yeah, there is. Everyone has a doorbell, even if it's at this big, scary gate. But I can't ring that doorbell. No, you absolutely can. You can ring the doorbell the same way that you would the five million mm -hmm. or the $100,000 house. It doesn't matter. So my best advice to any agents that are starting out there or anybody that's listening is the word fear is false evidence appearing real. If you have a moment where you're fearful of doing something, jump in front of it and deal with it because it will be a lot easier on you in the long run than it will standing behind that fear for many, many years. I love that. What would you say is your biggest mistake, failure, lesson learned moment thus far in your career? Another great question. I truly don't have any because I don't look at anything I've done in my career as a failure because every single thing I've done has been a learning curve. If I took everything that's happened in my life and looked at my mistakes as failures, I would have probably hung myself. And I really mean that because I've been through hell and back, mm -hmm. but I have zero regrets in my life. And every single thing that I've had happen to me or has happened has been an amazing learning curve. And I have zero regrets. You have over 135,000 followers on Instagram. Nicely done, James. Thank you so much. Did you go all in on social or Instagram? Do you, do you have a channel strategy where it's like, hey, we're, we're all in on Instagram? Or Tell us about that. Instagram, social media in general is an amazing tool in our business. You know, brand is everything. We mentioned it earlier. What people see is what they know. And social today is so important. It's an integral part of our business. Unless you're going to use social media consistently, don't bother using it at all. It's all about posting on a consistent basis and putting out a clear message for others to see, read and understand. But, you know, it's something that if you're willing to do it right, it can pay off very nicely. What do you think of the five most imperative marketing initiatives a real estate agent like should consider either starting out or like in the coming year? What do you think where we're at? Obviously, the universe evolves and we're in transformation continually. But what would you select as like, hey, these are the most sort of important? I would say two that have never changed, which is door knocking. We're just a huge component of that. You still do you. that. You still do If it. we had time, we would. Door knocking costs you zero dollars to do, but it can be very effective if you're willing to put in the time. Sitting open houses, extremely effective, costs you zero dollars to do. Information is key. So if you're going to sit in an open house, you better know everything about that house and the other 10 houses within a half mile radius of that one so that when somebody comes in, you have all the information at your fingertips and those buyers that come in want to work with you. Mm -hmm. Social media, if you're going to be consistent, huge. Utilize that tool. It doesn't cost you any money. Newsletters, if you're going to be consistent and there's a specific area that you want to target, be consistent. Send out a monthly newsletter. Make sure people see you. Make sure it's not the same boring newsletter that everybody else sends. And the fifth thing is make sure 
that no matter what you are doing, all of it is in brand with who you are. Don't do anything that's the same as everybody else is yeah. doing. Think about what makes you unique. Think about what sets you apart from everybody else and then go out and do it. We, as marketers, we preach that all the time. Absolutely. That's all, you know? What do you think is the single most important thing that sellers look for today when hiring an agent? Trust, information. I think today a seller wants to know that A, you know your shit. You better know everything about their house, everything about the neighborhood, everything about the comps, everything about the features and highlights of the property when it was built, and they want to be able to trust you. If you can bring both of those things to the table and give your seller no reason to think they even need to meet with anybody else, you'll be successful. All right, let's talk million dollar listing LA, yes. shall we? James? Absolutely. Shall we? <laughs> First, you and David joined the show, I think, starting in season seven. How did you guys get on the show? How did that that come about? It's a great question. I was driving home one evening from work and received a call from a casting director who said that they were looking for a new cast member on the show. And I honestly thought it was a prank. I thought someone was pulling our leg. I thought they must be joking. So I called David. I said, look, I think we're being pranked, but let's go along with it. And... David loved the show. He actually loved the show. So he was very excited. But again, we both thought it was a prank. Before you know it, we're on a Skype call with the casting director. And I'll never forget it. David and I were just joking around. We thought it was a prank. He was flexing his muscles in the camera and we were all laughing. And the next thing you know, it is real. And they're interviewing hundreds and hundreds of different agents. And I guess they went through a selective process and got down to the last 10. And they then sent a full crew out to shoot with us for an eight-hour day and the other 10 people. I guess they must have edited it down and ultimately went with David and I. And that is how it all begun that is so six great. years ago. I didn't realize it was that strenuous of a... But you know what? It, the carefree process... In which you guys took Absolutely. it probably bode very well. Just like, you know? Absolutely. No worries in the world. Let's have some fun because that's what they're looking for, right? And crazy to think you guys are coming up on season 12. Insane. Are you going to ride this out until there's no more? Like I will, yeah. yeah. I think the platform is incredible. I think it's a platform where we can showcase the work that we do through the eyes of a camera lens. And I think it's been very beneficial to our business. And I think it's a great franchise. And the truth is people love real estate and the homes that we have here are very sexy and a very sexy lifestyle. And it's a lot of fun. The general public has an insatiable appetite for luxury, anything. And they luxury do. real estate is no, it's funny, James. I always ask your fellow titans of real estate peers, you know, kind of what they think of reality TV shows coming out of LA and in this vertical. And I got to say, Majority, it's not looked upon favorably in terms of accurately portraying the market and how business is really done. What are your thoughts on that? I truly don't care. And I mean <laughs> that with all due respect, because the truth is, sadly, everyone has an opinion. And if I ended up getting caught up in everyone else's opinion... I'd be a really miserable guy. Yeah. And it goes back to staying in my lane and staying focused. This is what I'm doing now. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. The show 
Despite it being on 12 years, the ratings continue to go up and up and up every single year. So if I'm going to focus on what a small community of people say, or am I going to focus on what millions of people say around the world, I'm going to go with the millions of people. But can it get confusing for you? So think about it. You've been this hardworking, you know, stay in your lane, real estate, and you've been brick by brick, you've built your career, right? Now you find yourself on this really successful TV show. That's getting momentum every year. Do you sometimes wake up and go like, who am I? Am I a, a TV star now? Or am I still James, the the hardworking boots on the, on the street? This TV show hasn't changed a single thing in my life other than it's put us on the map even more so in a quicker period of time. The reality is I'm a father, I'm a husband, I'm a son, I'm a friend. And I put the real estate first because without the real estate, we don't have the show. And David and I have always known that. So no, it's never been jaded in my mind that I'm a real estate agent that sells real estate and has a TV show. What's the real scoop, James, on your relationship with Josh Altman? (laughs) Frenemies? That's a great word. Yeah, frenemies would be accurate. Look, Josh is somebody I respect. He's a hardworking guy. We are very, very different. And there's clients that will work with Josh and there's clients that will work with David and I. And thank God there's more than enough business to go around. But our styles are extremely different. And I'm sure everything that we do are extremely different. But I respect the work ethic. And off camera, he's actually a good guy. For fun, I Googled, is million dollar listing Los Angeles real or fake? For fun, James. Guess mm-hmm. how many results appeared? God, that's a great question. I've never looked that up. How many? <laughs> 21.8 million. <laughs> so, but the, clearly this show has struck a nerve and found a formula for success. So congrats on that. That's a big, your career trajectory is amazing on multiple levels, but now being able to parlay and stay real and in your lane with a TV show as an, as an accelerant is even, it's really cool. Let me tell you something about the show to set any misconceptions very straight. The show is real. It is a TV show. So, of course, it has added elements of excitement and drama. But every single deal that you see on that show is real. And we are not allowed to put a property on this show that hasn't closed or hasn't been negotiated. And these episodes, you see these homes go into escrow. And that's exactly what happens. And the reason that this show takes 11 months a year to film a season is because they follow the story from the very start to the very finish. And we don't know what's going to happen in the middle or end until we get started on an episode. So we go into it praying that the property is going to sell, but it doesn't always happen. And I think to portray the reality of what's happening, that not every deal closes, is equally as interesting as seeing the deal close. You know what else is real, James? I was a reality TV star before you were. That's bloody cool. What show was that? It was House Hunters. No way! I was on episode like seven. That's very in cool. In 1999. I'm, I'm teasing. but And you're only 21. So yeah, I'm only uh, 22. <laughs> so you went on the air yeah. when you were three. Excellent. Yeah. No, it's funny because I had my little taste of uh, reality TV and it was our first house. Story was we bought it. We looked at it at night. So we had to reenact that. So I get the excitement and all that stuff, but it's fun. It's a fun world. And and that show is 
been on for a gazillion years too. It has right? been on. And like that in goes iterations. back to people love real estate. Think about how many home and design TV shows there are. Totally. It goes on and on and on. LA has a high concentration of very high profile top producing agents like yourself, but it seems only a few dozen of you represent the super high end, like the majority of the super high end, say above 20 million. Do you find this to be true? That is true. I don't think it necessarily should be true, but it is. Good for you. Um, And you do find that if you actually look at all of the major sales, it's typically the same agents doing them. But you do often see the one-off agent that pops that big deal and has that big client. And that's why we will never discourage anyone to show one of our listings because you just never know who might have the client. I want to put you on the spot. Let's have a little listing presentation role play here. Do you Go mind? for it. All right. <laughs> Assuming you're the seller. Well, no, I'm going to put you in a different spot here. Let's say later today you have a listing presentation for a $50 million estate in Bel Air. And prior to the meeting, the seller tells you that she's already met with, and for fun, I'll use first names, but I know you're going to know who these people are. Josh, Valerie, Aaron, Sally, Drew, Joyce, Jeff, Jade, and the list goes on. But you get my point. Why should they hire you, James? I think to name people's first names, honestly, isn't something I would have personally done, but you've done it. Um, (laughs) I would tell my seller that every single person that they're chatting to and speaking with are great agents, very reputable, and clearly extremely successful. And I would then go on to explain how and why we do things the way that we do them. And I would try and explain to that seller several case studies of properties that we have sold and how we've sold them. And I never talk badly about another agent because I find it extremely distasteful. Um, By the way, the example is not meant to do that. It was more like extracting your value prop, like the the core elements of it. No, no, no. I understand. I always talk highly of agents I respect because I respect them. And so I'm not going to speak badly about someone I respect just to try and win a listing. But I will always tell our sellers that we work hard. We're very creative. We think outside the box and we don't give up until the job's done. We'll put our presentation forward and then we let the seller decide. We are not these cutthroat salespeople that will go in, talk a ton of shit about everyone else, throw a bunch of other people under the table to make a quick dollar. We don't even want to work with those clients that are going to pin us up against a whole bunch of other agents and put us in that box to put other agents down. So again, we'll explain what we do, how we do it, and then we let the seller decide on who they want to work with. Perfect. Perfect. You have an off-market listing in Argentina for $22.5 million that has 29 beds, 25 baths, and sits on 2,800 acres. How the hell did you get that, James? That is a great question, seeing as I don't speak Spanish. Uh, (laughs) You know, we team up with other agents, we team up with sellers, and the agency have an incredible marketing presence. And so if a specific seller doesn't feel as though the local market can help sell their property, they'll bring us in to help market the property from the US side. And we have a lot of listings that we represent in other countries, in other states, and we bring the marketing element to the table and get that property press. We get it put on the map and ultimately try and help find a buyer. Enough about real estate for a moment. Let's have a little fun. Yes. Let's let's take a detour. I'm a huge music fan. I'm a musician. The fact that you come from London, England, 
sparked some childhood memories of for me of the British Invasion, and I'm a huge Kinks fan, and I'm a you know, well, who's your favorite band or what? Tell me about. Did you have any exposure interest to that when you were? I mean, I grew up, or should I say, when I grew up, my <laughs> mother was a huge fan of the Beatles. Yeah. I grew up in an area called St. John's Wood in northwest London, which is literally a stone throw from the Abbey Road Studios. Cool. And I would pass that crossing like it was very normal. But now living in the US and seeing that poster on so many different people's walls, you realize how iconic they truly are and were and how iconic the Abbey Road Studios have become over the years. But no, I've always listened to music across the board, whether it be 80s, pop, hip hop, R&B. I like a little bit of everything. Okay, cool. Just amazing to think the the quality and timelessness of the bands that came out of that era. It's just, it blows my mind. Yeah. So you have two children with wife, Valerie. Congratulations. How did you guys meet? Thank you. It's our birthday today. We met actually at a coffee shop by an old office that I used to work at, she was studying business here in Los Angeles. She just moved from Switzerland and I used to go into that coffee shop every day and I was just mesmerized by her. And uh, I used to go in every day and order the same thing, but I was really going just to see her. And you, and you put your charm on and put and- my charm on. She turned me down about 15 times. So I sent my whole office in to put in a good word and I didn't give up. I literally asked her 25 times, let's go out, let's go out until she actually said yes. And that's my MO. Don't give so you up. Basically, James, you door knocked your wife. I door knocked <laughs> my wife. That's absolutely a great way of putting it. My, my motto is every time you hear the word no, you're closer to a yes. Classic. How's the market been this year? Incredible. We've had a record-breaking year. The market is strong. I think the market's changing or has changed. Certainly, we're in a more price-sensitive market today. I would say it's a buyer's market, but deals are getting done. And as long as sellers are reasonable and sensible and asking what their property's worth, their properties are selling. Of course, you're always going to have those unreasonable sellers where their egos get in the way or they think their property's worth more than it is for whatever reason. It might be an emotional attachment. But if you are reasonable and sensible and listen to a knowledgeable broker that advises you on a price, there's no reason your house shouldn't sell. The fundamentals are strong. Interest rates are low. The stock market's steady and the market's great. We just had a record sale in LA, 150 million. Isn't that great? Crazy. Do you think we can get over 200? Absolutely. You, like 250. What do you think? Is there a limit? Like, I mean, or, there's a number of homes being built right now from 200 to 500 million that right. we'll see in the next two years. Certainly, there's one coming out next year, which they're calling the one, which will be half mm-hmm. a million dollars, uh, 500 million dollars, 100,000 square feet. Who knows what it's really worth? Because only started, the person that buys it knows what it's Have really you started worth. door knocking there yet? Not that one, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, we know the seller. Show up on the construction site. We already know the seller. We've walked the property. It's fabulous. Good, good, good. So some closing thoughts. I want to know one thing. I want to know a lot of things about you, James, but we're we're going to be out of time here. What do you do for fun? What's a typical day look like? For me, it's with my children and my wife. Okay. You know, I like to spend time with them wherever I can. This job is very, very full on. And so I like to spend time with my wife and children, go to the mall, go see a movie, go for lunch, dinner. I love, which nobody can believe, but I love fishing. Hmm. And no one understands because I can't sit still for 3.2 seconds. But for some reason, you give me a fishing rod and a boat and I'll sit there for five, six, seven, eight hours and just relax. How cool. Very cool. I was going to ask you, what What do you think people would be surprised to hear about you? That, that's absolutely oh, fishing. fishing. If you it. know me, you don't understand why or how I like fishing. 
but I love it. If you could have one superpower, what would that be? Wow, that's a good one. To read your mind. Mm. All right. Finish the sentence for me, James. If I wasn't in real estate, I would love to... Be in real estate. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. I like it. If you could invite three people to your dream dinner party, who would be there and what would you serve? Wow, that is so random. Richard Branson, Elon Musk, and Kobe Bryant. Yes. I would serve lobster and steak. Mm, good. Mm, bloody good choice. Can I come to that dinner? Absolutely Kobe's not. my, my favorite all <laughs> not. Three powerful, innovative, <laughs> creative people that have set records and done things that people said they could never do. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. What's your favorite vacation spot? Oh, wow. I'm really, I have to say Capri, Italy. Absolutely love it. Do you have a funny, can't believe it happened in real estate story? I know you probably got dozens, but is there one that comes to mind? Oh my God, there's about 150, but I'll give you a quick one. I was walking back from a showing in London with two guys. I'd just shown them an apartment. They absolutely loved it. I'm walking uphill and there's a lamppost. And I walked straight into the lamppost and I was about a foot behind them. And I looked up and I was in agony, but I noticed that they hadn't seen that I had just walked into the lamppost. So I shut my mouth and I just kept walking and I got to the top of the hill and these two guys looked at me in disbelief and they just said, are you all right, mate? I said, yeah, I'm fine. Why? My entire forehead and head was covered in blood. (laughs) And I said, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I just didn't want to tell you, but (laughs) I walked into a lamppost. So there's one for you. (laughs) That's that's great. All right, last question. What are two pieces of advice you would give to your younger 18, 16, 17-year-old self? Join a team. And truly understand and figure out who you are and who you want to become. And learn this market inside and out whilst you're learning who you want to become so that you can utilize that information to your absolute advantage and go and become your own person in this business and be the best version of yourself. Great. Well, with that, James, I want to thank you so much for your time. I think our audience will enjoy this podcast. Congratulations on all your success. And it it was great to get to hear your story from perhaps a different sort of elevation. Thank Um, you, my friend. I appreciate your time and having me on. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. We'll do this again soon. All right. Absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for listening. I hope you all enjoyed it. If I can go from being expelled from eight schools, being diagnosed with ADHD, being where I was to being here, I truly believe anyone can do anything that they want if they put their mind to it, stay focused and don't give up. And it doesn't come easy. You have to want it, you have to earn it and you have to go get it. And that wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning in and we hope you found some value. Please share, subscribe, and leave a review. Find us on iTunes and your favorite podcast provider. Until next time.